Daniel good? Yeah? Y'all are ready to quit, are you? No? It's the fourth quarter. You know, in football, they always put the four up. We're in the fourth quarter right here. Fourth quarter. <clears throat> Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. And for the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to go after something specific. Something specific. We invite you to come also on Wednesday nights while you're looking at 1 Samuel 17. Uh, this Wednesday, we're starting uh, the video called Holy Ghost. I don't know if you've seen those, but I know Darren Wilson. We, I haven't even seen this full, fully yet, so I'm looking forward to it. But they're documentaries of God's love um, and people going out and being uh, his light and seeing what God does. And we finished this last week. We went back and watched Furious Love. It's been a long time, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe how much that wrecked me, especially when um, they were in India and the Christians were being martyred there. And one of the missionaries got to be in their village and they, like all their pastors got killed. All their families were getting killed. Their kids were being killed, women and children. And these, these people from India were hiding in this house and they were worshiping God and they were singing praises to God. And he pulls his cell phone out and records it as they're singing Jesus, kind of Jesus, only Jesus. Um, their version of so, a song like that in their language, and you hear that after what they went through, I was like, okay, that means a little something different than, than when we sing it, and it just got to me. And they interviewed a little girl. She had to be between 9 and 12 years old, and she said, Mom, why is this happening? If, if God is a good God and, and, and he loves us and will protect us, then how come this stuff happens? She goes, God didn't let this happen. These people chose to do this, and she says, as a matter of fact, this is an honor to be persecuted for the name of Jesus. This young girl is saying, this is actually an honor to be. And so I was just like, oh, God, help us to have that kind of faith. We're so, I don't want to dog American or Western church, but we are pretty selfish and pretty lazy. Like it's, it's uh, let's, let's step it up a little bit, yeah? Hopefully today will help with that. First Samuel 17. I'm going to read the story, most of it, um, and then... And see what the Lord says to us. Yeah? Father, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you because you're here today. I thank you because you continue to pursue after us. You're the pursuer, and we love you for that. And we just pray that in this next few moments that you would strengthen us, that your word would come inside of us and produce life and the fruit that you want us to have, make us stronger, stir up our passion for you. And God, we ask that your anointing would come in and break down every yoke of bondage, everything that would distract us from hearing your word. And God, we ask that we would know you better in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is one of the most popular Bible stories. And I don't want to just tell it because how many knows, have you been in church for a long time and you've heard the story of Noah and the ark and you go back and you're like, whoa, I, I didn't remember this being in Noah and the ark. Like over time, we just kind of tell the story in essence. We leave stuff out. Well, I want to read this today uh, and then we're just going to going to go after something. So verse 1, 1 Samuel 17. It says, Now the Philistines, or Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, Soka, I don't know how to say some of these words, so bear with me, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between there and Ezekah in Ephes Damim. I'm, uh, y'all reading along with me? Yeah. You're struggling with me? Make, me? make me feel better. Saul and the men of Israel, here's what happens. They were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. 
The Philistines stood on one side of the mountain, and the Israelites stood on the other side when there was a valley between the two armies. Then the champion of the armies of the Philistines named what? Goliath, right? Um, from Gath, who was six cubits and a span. So he was over nine feet tall, um, somewhere between nine and nine and a half feet tall, and he was their champion fighter. He was their gladiator. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. I don't know how much that is. I don't have a lot of bronze lying around my house. So, um, but he also had bronze shin guards, and he had a bronze javelin that was slung between his shoulders. And, the, and his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. So I, I'm assuming it was pretty heavy. I probably couldn't lift it, right? <clears throat> his shield carrier also walked before him so he had a shield carrier who walked before him now it wasn't like the little shields like captain america and wonder woman had this is like a full huge shield that he would walk out and place it and it would be something he could get behind so this is a massive shield right so he was in front of him and he stood and he shouted at the ranks of israel and he said to them why don't you come out to draw up in battle array he's challenging them where where are you how come you're so cowardly Am I not the Philistine and, and you're the servants of Saul? So choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. So he's, he's making fun of them. He's literally challenging them to a duel. Like this is a standoff here in the, in the, in the desert. And again, he says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that may fight me. When Saul and Israel, now, how many remember how tall Saul was? He was a head taller than any other Israelite. So he was the tallest Israelite, and he was the king. And even Saul didn't want to go fight this guy. That's how big he was, right? And so when Saul and all of Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. Everyone say dismayed and they were afraid. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah, and his dad's name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. And the three older sons of Jesse had gone out with Saul to the battle. They were there to help. They were part of the army that was hiding, right? And the names of his, and the names of his three sons who went to battle there were Eliab, the firstborn, the secondborn, Abinab, Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest of all of them. Now the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock of sheep in Bethlehem. Now the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days. He taunted them. Morning and evening for 40 days. He came out, stood between the two armies, beat his chest and said, come on, I challenge you, someone from your army to come fight me. If they beat me, we will become your servants and you don't have to fight our whole army. Just fight one of us and no one would do it. So then Jesse, the son of De uh, said, then Jesse said to David, his son, why don't you take these, these things for your brothers, some grain and ten loaves, and run to the camp of your brothers. Bring also these cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand, and look into the welfare of your brothers. Make sure they're okay, and bring back news of them. Let me know what's going on. For Saul and, and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. See, they thought they were fighting already, but no one was fighting. They were just chilling, listening to this guy come out day and night for 40 days, taunting and laughing at him. 
So David gets up early the next morning. He leaves the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him to. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. So they were pretending that they were going to go to war. And they never did. And David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper, and he ran to the battle line. I love it. Listen to that. What did David do? He ran to the battle line. This guy, man, ran to the battle line, okay, <clears throat> and, as, and greeted his, uh, his brothers. As he was walking or talking with them, behold, the champion, and he gets to see what's been going on, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines and he spoke these same words and David heard him. Now when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. So now David is like, okay, this is what's been going on. All right. These men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming to defy Israel, and it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Like, man, that sounds like a pretty good little plan, right? And so there, and David spoke to the man um, who was standing near him and said, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the approach for Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would taunt the armies of the living God? Now he's getting bold. Now the reward, I think, encouraged his boldness. I get to marry the king's daughter. My whole family is free. I get all this money. Sounds like a good deal, right? So he's becoming very bold with, the, with the, the opportunity here. And then beyond that, this guy is talking bad about his best friend, God. See, this is David who was writing those love songs in the, in the desert by himself watching sheep. He was saying, oh, Lord, my heart longs for you. I would rather be a doorkeeper in your house than, than to be with kings. Like He's talking to the Lord like this. So when he goes out and hears this, pagan guy talking about his god he gets really upset and frustrated he says the people answered him after he said who who would let this guy taunt god and he says the people answered him in accord with this word and they said thus it will be for the man who kills him they tell him all over again here's the reward you get for killing him now eliab his oldest brother um, heard when he spoke to the men and eliab's anger burned against david and he said why have you come down here and with whom have you left the sheep in the wilderness like Where's your place? Isn't that interesting? Where's your place? I know you're supposed to be out with the sheep. Why aren't you out there with him? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. Yeah, right. For you, come, you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I done? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing, and the people answered the same. So when the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul. And he sent for him. So now Saul hears, hey, there's someone who's crazy enough and bold enough and courageous enough to take this guy on. So Saul sends for him. So David comes in, and David said to Saul, don't let any man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and will fight the Philistine. Are you all okay? I'm going to put a mirror up here one week just so you can see. You can practice your, yeah, I'm here. I'm a live face. <laughs> we do need to do that. <laughs> so David said, hey, y'all stop. Don't worry. I'm going to go take care of this guy. 
this guy's like 16 years old. He's a, he's a pimple-faced kid, right? He's just now hitting puberty. I guess he probably feels like he could take on the world. He's like, whoa. <laughs> he's on rage, right? Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a kid. <laughs> he's been a warrior since he was your age. Never mind, he's over nine feet tall, right? But David said to Saul, now what does he do? He tells testimony. He brings up a testimony of his history with God. And David said to him, When I was tending my father's sheep, a lion and a bear came to take a lamb from the flock. And I went out after him, and I attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck it and killed him. Your servant killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them because he has taunted the armies of the living God. He's going, look, I'm not just what you see in front of you. I have something in my bag of tricks here. I have defeated a lion and a bear with my bare hands. I can take care of this guy. Not just because I did it to a lion and a bear. I can do it because he's defying God. And I can't let him do that. And so his courage is being stirred up inside of him, right? And so David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so now Saul's like, yeah, it sounds like a good plan. This guy's convinced me his his courage is contagious, right? Go and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David in his own garments and put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with armor. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I can't wear this. This isn't going to work for me. I have not tested this. And so David took them off. And he took his stick in his hand. <laughs> Come on, man. You all okay? Yeah? And he went and found five smooth stones from the, from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand. And he approached the Philistine. Now, shepherds were probably, they were really good with the sling. That was one of their weapons that they would use. So he knew, I, I can do a lot of damage with this slingshot. Like, this is, my, this is my gift. I'm not going to try to use someone else's. I'm not going to try to get involved in what you have tested and proven in your life. I'm going to use what I know God has given me that I can do. Yeah. So he took it, and he goes after the Philistine. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. But when, David, <laughs> when the Philistine looked and saw David, he laughed at him. He disdained him. For he was a youth, and he was ruddy with handsome appearance. I don't know. I guess ruddy is kind of reddish tint to his face. I don't know, but he was handsome. I, I think Nate was what David looked like. No, Nathaniel. That's always that. We had the little curly hair and the little, yeah. So that's what David looked like. When you see Nathaniel, Matt and Belinda, that's what David looked like, right? Handsome with reddish colored hair and complexion, right? So when he saw him, he, he laughed. And he says, have they seen, and he starts cursing him. By his own God. He says, come to me and I will feed your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David responded to the Philistine. He said, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. In other words, I'm not coming for me. I'm coming after you because God, God is God and you're speaking bad about God. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will remove your head from you. 
<laughs> He's like, you're going to feed me to the birds? Well, I'm going to cut your head off, right? Whew, I love this. Doesn't this kind of make you feel that's what it's supposed to do, right? And I will strike you now, remove your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky. I'm not just going to feed you to the birds. Your whole army is going to be fed to the birds and the beasts. Woo! That everyone on all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and drew near to meet David. David ran again. There's David with that passion. Ran after him quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And he put his hand into his bag and he took out a stone from it and he slung it and he struck the Philistine in the forehead. And we all love that part. That's the greatness. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Fell face forward. Boom. And all the dust flew when he hit the ground. And I cannot imagine the shock that happened on one mountain and the excitement that happened on the other mountain. Okay, I mean, literally. Like, <gasps> and then they're all like coming out from behind the rocks like, whoa, what happened? Did he, get, did he get them? And they're all of a sudden, they're feeling brave, right? Then David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck him and he killed him. But there was no sword for David. So David ran over and took Goliath's sword. <laughs> what the enemy means for harm, God means for good. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you, you shall condemn. For this is the heritage of those who have been called by God. So David took a sword that was not his sword, and he takes it out, and he cuts off Goliath's head. He took it out of the sheath, and he cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they ran away. Now listen to this. This sword became David's sword for the rest of his life. It was now David's sword. Oh, come on, man. What, some, someone right now, you're going through a really tough battle. And when you win this battle, the sword that, you, that was meant to hurt you is now going to become your sword for the rest of your life. So the men of Israel and Judah arose and they shouted and they pursued the Philistines as far as the valley uh, and to the gates of Ekron. And they slain the Philistines all along the way to all these places that I can't say. Then the sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundering their camps. All of a sudden, they're all, they were all hiding and they were afraid. Now what happened? They felt the same courage and passion that David felt. Everyone say this with me. Courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. God wants us to become courageous again. And all it took for a whole army to become courageous was for one person to stand with God and be on God's side. And when that one little boy stood on God's side and did what he felt was right in the eyes of God to defend his God, all of, all of Israel and Judah got behind him and began to follow him. Oh, man. Then David, after they're plundering all their crops, they're taking all their stuff, right? Then David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his weapon, his sword, in his tent. That's mine now. Don't you all touch that. I earned that. Right? And when Saul 
saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, by your life, O king, I don't know. I don't know where he came from. The king said, you inquire whose son this youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. Can you see him? He's holding him by his hair right here in front. Yeah, I, I did this. Yeah, you were laughing. You thought I was crazy before. I did this for God because there is a God in Israel. And he's standing there. And Saul said, whose son are you? And David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse. And then all the things they said they would do, they did for David. And guess what happens? Saul becomes jealous because they were singing songs. See, up until now, Saul was the champion of Israel. He was head and shoulders. He was a warrior himself. And they were singing, Saul has slain his thousands. This was the top ten tune of the land. Saul has slain his thousands. It's number one on the charts. And then all of a sudden, David comes along. And what, is they, what are they singing about David? But David has killed his tens of thousands. Not only did they change the, change the song, they changed his song. And they, said they, they, they embarrassed Saul in the song. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And Saul became so jealous that he actually pursues David and tries to kill him for years. Now, what happens in the middle of this time? How many have heard of David's mighty men? There's about 37 of them listed in the Bible. They were called the 30 in some places. Then there were three of them that were mightier than the others. They, they, some of them killed thousands with a sword. One of them jumped in, Benaiah jumped into a pit, uh, what's the book, in a pit, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. He jumped in a pit with a lion and kills the lion, right? These men, because of David's courage, they became known as his mighty men and they followed him everywhere he went. From station to station, they were with David. They went after, they, wherever David went, they were going to go. When Saul was pursuing after David, his mighty men were with him everywhere. Did you know this? Why? Because they saw a man who had, conv- who had conviction and courage. And they said, you know what? This man knows God, and he's courageous. I want to be around this guy. So much so that when David becomes a leader and, and moves up the ranks, he says this out loud one day, and they hear him. He's like, oh, I wish... I wish I could just have a drink from the spring of my homeland. And his three mighty men heard him. And his homeland was under siege and was under, under rebel rule. And guess what his three men did? They snuck out. They came in under the town and crawled in through the, the, the gutters and all the different systems, aqueducts. And they got David a cup of water from his home well. And they brought it through the enemy lines back to David and said, David, we just heard you say that you wanted to drink of water. And because you're so full of courage and because you're so full of conviction, we wanted to do this for you. And they brought him this cup. And David wept. And he wouldn't even drink the water. He took it and poured it out as an offering before God, as a covenant with his men, saying, these are my guys. What's the point of all this? I want us to be courageous. For far too long, we have allowed, we have allowed the enemy, we have allowed circumstances, we have allowed frustrations and things we've gone through in life to get us off of assignment, which we talked about last week. But more than that, we have stopped following and being around courageous people. This is the point for today. God wants us to find courageous people 
They have conviction, and he wants us to just be around them. Let's stop for a second. Can you think of three or four courageous people that you know in your life that have conviction? That when they're faced with an obstacle, they're like, no, man, we know God. Come on. Can you think of anyone? You need to be around them more. You need to be with them. I'm reading a book right now. It's called Tribal Leadership, and it's a sociological study. And basically it says that there are five stages in life that people go through, stages where you're at. It doesn't matter where you're born. It, it, none of it matters. It, it crosses all kinds of boundaries and socioeconomic boundaries. There's five stages in life. One is the lowest stage. It's where you find your terrorists. It's find, you find your criminals. You find gang activity is in one. And then five would be like the greatest company on the earth where everyone's doing well and there's prosperity. People are healthy. People are wise. People are doing well. And he says in this study, you can't just skip from one to four or one to three, or, but you have to go from station to station wherever you're at. And this is what he found. If you're in stage one or if you're in stage two or three and you want to move up in your life and you want to become, you want to become more of who God has called you to be, then you have to get around people that are already in that stage and hang out with them. You have to find your people. You have to say, man, they carry something that I don't have right now. Because here's what happens. If I'm in stage two and I'm longing to be in stage three, see, stage two, stage one says life sucks. This is what he says. Life just sucks. It sucks for everybody. And if you think life can be better, you've bought into the, to the manipulation and to the lie of the man, and they're just trying to keep you in control because life isn't good anywhere. But stage two goes, well, my life sucks. Some people's life is better, but mine sucks. Stage three says, my life's good, but your life sucks. And then it just moves up, right? And what he's saying is there's a language that happens in each stage. And what we tend to do, we just do this. We don't don't even know we're doing it. We hang around people that speak the same language we do. Let's just use a really easy example. Victim. If I feel like a victim, I don't want to be around people that talk like victors. They're annoying. If I'm sad and I'm depressed, I don't want to hang around people that are happy and joyful. Human nature. Man, I, don't, I want to go around someone that gripes as much as I do. <laughs> so what do we do? We find naturally, without even thinking about it, we find our people. And we hang out with other people that complain and gripe. What's the old saying? Misery loves company. So we do this. We find people. I don't know where you're at right now, but I know that every one of us is attaining or or striving for something more. Would you say that? I want more. And I know that this is where we're at as a church. This is how I feel. Like, for us to be what I see in my mind, we've got to start being around some other people. We've got to start exposing this body to places that are having revival, that are seeing cancers removed. Because what happens is we have a language here. Well, God can do anything. What are we saying? Well, he can. I, I haven't seen it. But it's, been a, it's been years. I remember that one time. And then when we get around people where, like, man, everyone we prayed for got healed. It's kind of like, well, would you just shut up? Come on. That's not real life. That's not real life. 
And without even knowing it, we lock ourselves into a stage by our vocabulary and by the words that we choose and the way that we think. So for us to move into a new station, for us to upgrade where we're at into a new place in life, we've got to get around people that speak a different language than we do. I'll never forget when, when we first met Bill Johnson. My dad was pastor. I was working for him, and Bill came to the church. Anyone remember that? It was like 14, 13, 14 years ago. He came to our church before he was Bill Johnson. No one even knew who he was. He hadn't even written any books yet. And he came, and he spoke. And I sat there. I'm not kidding you. And I filled out a notebook of notes. And I said, I don't know who I said it to, maybe Kyle or someone. I said, this man says things that I've heard my whole life. But he says it in a way I have never thought of before. And I said, I I made a commitment. I'm going to follow this man. I want to be around this guy. Because he says things that offend me. But I know they're true. So here's what happens. When we want to move stage to stage, we need to get around people that are courageous and full of conviction that speak things that we know are true, but they offend where we're at right now. Because if we're moving from depression into joy, and we get around people that are full of joy and we bring our depression language with us, what are they going to tell us? Knock it off. Grow up. Joy is a choice. You've heard that. Happiness is a choice. Get over yourself. Stop. Don't bring that around to us. That's not allowed here. Why do they have joy? Because they don't allow the language of depression to come around. They put a stop to it. You want to be courageous? You want to see giants fall in your life? Get around some giant killers and follow them around. I mean this with all my heart. Find some people that have done some stuff that you want to do and just follow them around and keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Don't say anything. Don't bring your language with you or they'll say, hey, either speak our language or get out of our group. How many have ever been on the other end of that before? Like, hey, you know, man, we love you. We just we just can't hang around with you as much as we used to. Well, is it me? Yeah, it is. You You know, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about? Why? Because it brings down the overall thing the overall mood and feel of the culture that's why i think when we first came uh and merged the two churches we've got to be really careful what we say here we've got to be really careful the words that we choose and the things that we say and the things that we talk about because if we talk about the wrong things we'll have the wrong culture See, courage is not just, you know, boldness in the face of obstacles and all that. All that's true. But biblical courage, it says this. It means to be alert. It means to be eager and swift to act obediently. That's an interesting view of courage. Swift to act obediently. So when David, he brought with him a condition of his heart. He brought a stage with him that he was in in life. When he comes to the battlefield and hears them talking about this guy and how big and strong he is and how he's making fun of God, the language of Israel had a confrontation with the language of his heart. And because his heart was already connected to the Father in a way that no one really knew, 
When he heard language that didn't agree with his relationship with God, he had to step up and do something. We can call it courage, but really what it was was he acted obediently according to how he knew God. Now, I know this to be true. The most courageous things I've ever seen in life came when people responded to God. And it looked like courage. But what it really is is an eagerness to just do what pleases God. So I want us to be a church full of people that are courageous. Be strong and courageous. And it's very interesting, if you'll go back and study how many times that was said through the Bible, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, do not fear, be strong and courageous. He always, God would always follow up that commandment, be strong and courageous with, be sure to follow all of my commands. Go, go read it, study it. Hey, be strong and courageous and do all the things that I've told you to do in my commandments. Be strong and courageous and just do what I told you in the secret place. See, courage follows a condition of the heart that says, I'm eager to just obey you, God. It looks like courage to the world, but it's really obedience. Come on. Yes, it is. Just obedience. And we want to be courageous people. Then I have to make a pre-decision in my heart. Did you know there's a such thing? A pre-decision. I am pre-deciding in my heart right now, God, I don't know what you're going to ask me to do, but I will just say yes to you. If I can pre-decide, God, I'm going to do what pleases you, I'm going to do what's right in every circumstance, then courage will become the life that we live. Hello? Yeah. Last thing. I went longer than I meant to, but here, here's something that came to me the other day. I was reading of the, of the great righteous kings of Israel. I mean, you know, there weren't a whole lot of them. There was a lot that did really evil, in the, it says, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they built temples to the other gods. And, but then there would come along a king, a son of a king, a Josiah, who would read the scroll for the first time and say, whoa, how have I missed this? This is God. We've got to follow this man. And they would go in and look what they would do. They would go up, Josiah, let's use him as an example. He falls on his face and repents at the first hearing of the law of God. Because it was hidden in a temple somewhere. No one even knew where it was. When they found, hey, we found this scroll. Yeah, well, read it to me. I want to, oh, and it told the law of God and of Moses. And he's like, whoa, he rips himself open and repents before God and calls a fast for the whole nation to repent. Then guess what he did? He went and tore down the altars that his own forefathers built to other gods. That's courageous. That's courageous, right? Wow. Can you imagine the conversations that took place? The feelings that he had? Feeling that these kings had? And we look back and we're like, oh, they were so courageous. Look what they did. Actually, all he was doing was he was responding to an eagerness in his heart to please God and to obey him. And because the condition of his heart was to please God and to obey him, when any circumstance came up, there was only one option, and it was to do what pleased the Father. And when we do that, we look courageous. Now, I want you to be one of those courageous people. I want to be a courageous person. I want, when you're around me, I want you to feel like you can do anything with God. I want you to leave from being with me and feel like, man, I, I can do this. I can serve the Lord. I can conquer this. I can overcome. I can, I can be healed. That's what I want. And I want us to be a group of mighty men, some Benias. Some Abners, some, some mighty men of David that says, you know what, we're going to pursue God. We're eager to, to obey him. And then not only that, 
We want to be around people that do the same. How many say yes to that? Cowards are everywhere. Why don't you stand? I don't go on much further. If I if I keep going, I'm going to keep going too too long. So I'm going to stop. All a coward is is someone who takes the easy way out. So Father, we ask you right now to stir up the courage in us. Would you would you join across? Um, hold hands with someone or touch shoulders or something just as a sign of agreement. I know we do this kind of stuff a lot and it's, you know, it is what it is. But it's just a sign of unity. I'd like for you to pray. Pray a prayer with me. I'm going to pray here just to guide. But here's what we're asking God. God, make me courageous and help me to surround myself with courageous people. Yeah, eager to obey you. Father, we love you. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for your examples in Scripture of courageous men and women. Even Esther, who stood up, who knows? Perhaps I've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. I'll speak to the king. Such courage, such eagerness to obey you. And God, you gave us your Holy Spirit to make us bold, to make us courageous, to help us to know the voice of God and make us long to please him. So God, I ask that in this room, those on the podcast, that you would make us courageous people, that we would be eager to obey you and to please you. And not only that, God, but I ask that you would help us to be surrounded by other courageous people. We're going to watch our language. How many would say yes to that? I'm going to watch the words I speak. Come on, words have power. They create, they create reality. God, we ask you forgive us for speaking idle words, for speaking depressing words, frustrating words, powerless words. God, help us to keep our mouths shut and to only say what you're saying. We will be strong and courageous. And we will be careful to obey all you have commanded us to do. That our obedience may look like courage to those around us. That we may see your kingdom come. We may see heaven come to earth. That we may see Goliaths fall in people's lives. And as we defeat Goliaths, it causes those that have been hiding, those that have been afraid, those that have been running from the battle to rise up and go after the army, to go after the enemy. God, we love you. Here's the homework. You've got to do something courageous this week. I didn't say do something crazy or stupid. <laughs> Just listen for the Lord and be eager to do whatever he says. Be courageous. Amen. How many will do that? I'll be courageous this week. Yeah. If you would like more prayer for anything specific, we know a God who can do anything. We want to pray for you. Meet at one of the banners that applies. And we just bless you. So glad that you're here. So glad to see you. And uh, run with courageous people.